What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, September 14th, 2020. This week's episode, Grudge Matches Lead into October. We'll obviously be talking about this last event between Michelle Watterson and Angela Hill. We'll be talking everything Bellator from the weekend and, of course, their big announcements. We'll talk about what's next if Dustin Poirier is not fighting Tony Ferguson, the potential comeback of Nick Diaz, the ultimate fighter, and we'll cap off the show with looking forward to UFC Vegas 11 this coming Saturday and the welterweight match between Colby Covington and Tyrone Woodley. Um, I am here. This is Gabriel Gonzalez and my co-host Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. How are you? How have you been able to get through all the amazing fight cards that we were we were gifted this uh, this past weekend? Uh, pacing snacks and naps. You know, okay. you, you can't just go through your day and then act like you're gonna watch two fight cards and you know be fresh as a daisy. You got to know how to prepare yourself for it and, you know, pick your spots, what to watch, what to watch after the fact, you know. What about you? Yeah, uh, you know, pacing, luck, a little bit of luck with um, tuning in right at the moment to catch some of the main fights um, and and Uber Eats. We uh, we ordered some chicken nuggets at like 10 p.m. last night, <laughs> so that helped too. <laughs> nice, That was nice. very helpful. I mean, that's... That's a good fight night snack right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, so let's talk about it. UFC Vegas 10 from the UFC Apex. We're going to, we're probably going to say that until around March, is my prediction. 2022. Yeah. But um, no, uh, the fact is that we had arguably, I mean, I'll say it. I think that um, in terms of main events, that's probably just, up there with the top three with Poirier and uh, Hooker, Hooker and Felder. And um, yeah, now this one, yes, Joanna versus Whaley is up there, but that was a co-main. But the fact is, in terms of headliners, this is probably one of the best ones we've had all year. Michelle Watterson, Angela Hill, back and forth. Angela Hill comes out strong. She's just good pace, bigger, stronger, outstriking Watterson. And then round three, Watterson gets the takedown. Round four, she just looks fresher, kicks. She just kind of bit down on the mouthpiece and just got after it when Angela Hill started slowing down. Fifth round, it looked like Angela might rally back, but Michelle Watterson just does enough to stay ahead. Epic fight, epic heart. I think that anyone who criticized the main event in any way because of the way it came together was silenced. Um, I got to say this before I toss it to you, Natalie. The fact that a week ago, they were scheduled for three rounds, and they fought five rounds like that. I mean, I'm just impressed. Uh, just overall amazing event, um, amazing fight. Yeah, what you have there is is two true professionals, because they delivered those two extra rounds like, like champions, and that was really impressive. Excellent, excellent fight. Amazing performance by both. Uh, I was nervous for Watterson. You know, you described the, the fight perfectly. And so, yeah, she lost the first round. But to me, she, tar- she turned it around in the second. Now, the, the, big, the big push was in third, in, the, in round three. But in my view, she won the, the, you know, rounds two through five. I know there's some, you know, wavering opinions there. But for me, there's no controversy. Michelle Watterson, she dug deep, man. She went primal. She showed us that warrior spirit that I remember seeing from her when she debuted, when she was in that arm bar uh, from Angela Magana, and it looked like it was all over. She wouldn't tap, and at the end, she said, I'm not going to tap on my debut. Come on. And that's what I saw again, that Michelle Watterson with that spark, with that fire. So I was really impressed with her, with her signature move that I've always, um, that you know used to be effective, that like sidekick that she does to the, to the gut, basically. It used to work, then it stopped really being the tool that she needed, but yesterday she used it really well. Um, she fought the most intelligently. I think I've seen her fight probably ever in the UFC. Now it's not to undermine Angela Hill's performance because, you know, Dana White wasn't standing on his feet at the end of it because of a one-sided show by Watterson. Right. 
Hill yeah. had it on the line the whole time. She came to fight. I think, you know, she lost some steam after the third round. She couldn't connect enough of her offense. But but at, but at the very, very end, you know, the last, like, 10 seconds of it, she showed us that, like, you know what, I'm not out. I'm, I still have heart. And she, she landed a heck of an elbow on, uh, on Karate Hottie and gave her a bruise. You know, those last-second injuries are the ones that you <laughs> you never forget. Um, but, but yeah, man, it was an amazing main event. And, and again, I do want to reiterate, short notice upgrade to five rounds. Like, you know, everyone says they train for five rounds. But these, these two fighters just did it, just took it, took the fight, took the opportunity, and they never let off the gas pedal. Like, even if they were tired, they were still pushing forward. It was, it was really awesome. That's, that's some warrior shit right there. No, for sure. Um, second round, uh, that was a close one. I know that uh, Karate Hottie really tried to turn it around in the second half of that one. I did have it. I saw some people scoring second for um, Watterson, so I don't think that's controversy. The fifth round, I mean, Angela had those late knees, and, you know, I felt like they were neck and neck with Watterson just a little bit ahead, but then Angela, I think, had the more impressive late flurry, and then Karate Hottie kind of just kicks her back. It, it, it was just a fifth round came down to a few shots either way. I mean, it was, you know, you could probably count the punches and kicks that, you know, won the round on one hand. That's how close that round was, so... I completely get what you're saying, and yeah, Angela was there. I think that she raised her stock. I think that there's a lot of people that, you know, um, were up and down with Angela, but now it's like, hey, you know, she just she just flat out brings it, and I think it's the fact that when she got to the UFC, her record didn't necessarily, you know, it, it wasn't the shiniest and the prettiest, but now I think people just appreciate her, you know, similar to... You know, Robbie Lawler, a guy we're going to talk about in Nick Diaz, she just comes to fight and she just brings it and she's going to give it 110% and make it, you know, make it fun, make it look good doing it. So a lot to be proud of if you're Angela, obviously historic being the first African-American female to headline a UFC. Uh, but credit goes to Karate Hottie too. I think that I'll say it. I felt like her back was against the wall to get in the title picture. I feel like, mm -hmm. you know, she's been in the UFC a while, three in a row, even against the competition that it was, you know, you start talking about, it's like, well, is she ever going to get there? I kind of felt like that window was really starting to come down if she were to have uh, three losses, but exciting win, exciting fight. Uh, I have some theories on stuff that could propel Watterson forward, but I'll toss it to you. What's next for Karate Hottie? What I don't think is next is a is a title shot. I think that's what she was she was uh, talking about in her in her interview. But but she's she's close, and she's been close before. This is like the second you know surge or beginning of a surge surge for her. But oh, let's see. She just lost to Sparza and Jacek. Maybe. I don't. Well, I was gonna say Nina Ansaroff, but nope, she just had a baby, so I don't know when she's coming back. Did or no, she, wait, was her baby born yet? No, no, they're, no, they're just doing a lot of maternity photos. <laughs> she's just pregnant, so in any case, ineligible. <laughs> um, I don't know. Here's the thing: is that, and you mentioned it last week. Like she just, she can, you know, how far can she go being the size that she is, right? And you sort of think the same thing about someone like Carla Esparza, who she just, Larson just lost to. But like at a certain point, you're going to hit a wall. And by a wall, I mean like Tatiana Suarez, right? Like at, at that point, what do you do? Now, Tatiana Suarez still has to, like, isn't she like the biggest, the tallest fighter in this division? I mean, she's a tough out for anybody. Um, Oddly, I've checked that. I think that she's exactly the same height as Joanna and... Um... Rose. Wow. Well, you know, it, it, it's the shoulders. Yeah. And that jawline, she's got a powerful, you know, spatial structure and, um, yeah, it's just tough, man. I, I want to see Watterson do well, but I don't know. I don't see the path for a title shot. If someone like Tatiana Suarez or Joanna and Jacek are still going to be standing in her way, but just right off the bat next, I don't know what, what Gadelia is doing, how soon she can come back, but that that's, that's an interesting fight. I know that uh, Gadelia, she got injured, but she was previously scheduled for a fight. Um, 
Oh boy, looking at it, uh, I think it's too quick for a Joanna rematch. Rose is obviously locked in with Wei Lee. Just Gondraj is moving to flyweight. Um, you know what? Uh, I think they're going to revisit the conversation. Where is Tatiana Suarez in terms of a comeback? And I know you just, uh, I'll, I'll say this. I feel like, you know, the fact is, if she's going to get there, it can't be like, oh, she needs a perfect path. Either Watterson, like every fighter, you either win the fights or you don't. So yeah, yeah. when I look at it, you know, Esparza's locked in with um, Amanda Hibas. I say that if they don't rebook Claudia, then let's see where Tatiana Suarez is at. If not, you might just be stuck waiting because I feel like it's either a step back or it's someone too far. And if you're Michelle Watterson, I think that you do yourself a disservice in not getting yourself a good matchup to, to propel you forward. And, you know, so if that means waiting to see what happens with Rose and Wei Lee, maybe that's it. If that's waiting a minute to see if Tatiana's going to be back, you know, maybe not January, February, but like March, April, maybe that's what you need if you're karate hotties. So, yeah, those are the ones that stand out to me. Um, like I said, Claudia Gadella looks good, but I don't know if they're going to try to rebook her. Um, I'm blanking on her opponent. I, it's somebody, I don't even remember. Yeah, There's someone who's on a win streak that's not ranked, and I'm so sorry. I'm going to look it up right now. But um, yeah, I think that that would be the best bet, the best move if you're Watterson, because anything else would just be kind of a a step back, if that makes sense. Yeah. Let me go ahead and find it. While we're at it, um, they're talking about Whaley and Rose. Do you think we see that fight this year? Um, With everything, obviously, COVID in China and all the other stuff. It's not an easy... It, it could go either way, right? I think, uh, you know, I think Whaley would probably be more likely to be ready to go this year than Rose, just because Rose seems to, there's like a history of her wanting to sort of take her time and, you know, reset thoughtfully. And, um, I just don't know how she feels. And so that's the question mark for me. I suspect Wei Lee's ready to go. And I suspect the UFC can get her to fight Island. No problem. So will we actually see the fight, man? It's just, we just, I don't know. Not not sure. There's what we're September, so it would be like maybe December. That's kind of close. That's kind of close, I think, for Rose to want to, you know, continue to reset and then start training camp again for a whole new opponent. I mean, I could see them trying to do the December pay per view, uh, like just stack that. My thing about it is if uh, Whaley doesn't fight. In December, you're waiting until probably February because if they do end up doing the Jorge-Nate rematch in January, uh, I don't see them needing a... They're not going to put a championship below the BMF, I think. I think those guys could carry the card without another belt on the card. So I feel like that would just be... I don't want her to go 12 months without another fight, even under the circumstances, but I think that may be where we're at. Um, I hear what you're saying, but I feel like December might work if Rose is healing up right. I know she just had the procedure. I think it was on her nose after the Jessica fight, so I guess we've got to wait and see. By the way, I thought it was... I, I'll say this. I think I was confusing her name with someone else because I can't pronounce it. Jan Chionen, that was okay. who was going to fight um, Claudia, I believe, uh, I believe on a card this month. I know they canceled it, so I couldn't remember exactly where. Um, oh, it was at the, it was on the um, Arasanya uh, Costa card. That's a new schedule. Okay. But the fact is, if they rescheduled that for Claudia and Jan, um, that could leave uh, Watterson the odd woman out. But if they don't. Um, yeah, Claudia and uh, Watterson. I think that works great. I like yeah, it. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, Natalie, we had a very stacked weekend in Bellator. Two cards, ton of um, announcements. Uh, I think the big one, let's start with Friday. Phil Davis beats uh, Leota Machida pretty handily. I, I gotta be honest, I know we picked Machida, but split decision, even that one, I was like, uh, 
it just didn't go his way. I don't know where that one came from. So Phil Davis gets the win. He's now on a three-fight win streak. But Bellator has this awesome, just really intriguing new champion. And he's got all these options. So Vadim Nemkov, he did defeat Phil Davis already. So, But with Phil on a three-fight win streak, he's also probably one of the more dangerous-looking opponents. So I think that's something to be said. Ryan Bader is still a heavyweight champion. A rematch isn't out of the question, but does Vadim... That fight was so one-sided that does Nemkov feel like, you know, he has anything to gain in a rematch? That's a question. Corey Anderson is the popular new one. But coming off a knockout loss, you know, it sounds like Bellator wants him to get a win before then. There's a lot of pieces going around. Um, so Natalie, just very bluntly, with all these guys in the picture, who do you think is actually going to be booked next? Well, I think Bellator probably has some, is going to give Bader, because of all the momentum that he built up with being their double champ, knocking out Fedor, and just having that, you know, 2018, 2019 year the way he did, I think they'll, maybe they'll go to him and say, what do you want next? Do you want this rematch? Do you want to, you know, go go defend your heavyweight belt? So I think Beta would probably want a rematch, but I don't know. He was, as you said, beaten, you know, or, you know, he was defeated, I should say, pretty handily. So either this is just always going to be a tough fight for Beta or... He's just, you know, one of those, he was off, bad training camp, it had an injury or something, you know, one of those kinds of situations. So I actually was going to initially say Corey Anderson because that's sort of like the trend with the UFC fighters, at least the male ones, when they come in, send them right to the title shot. But usually they've been bigger names, right, like Benson Henderson and um, I can't remember. Oh, Leo, did he get this title shot right away, Leoto? No. no I guess he did not, actually. Yeah. Okay. Take it back. Bader and Davis, I think. Bader. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I thought that would be what Belcher would want to do. But if you say that they, you know, because of how he came out of the UFC, that they're maybe looking to, to build him up a little bit first, that makes sense. So I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and, and, and suspect that Bader's going to want that rematch. And probably Vadim's not going to have a whole lot to say about it, is my guess. I think... They're going to do Nemkov versus Davis just because um, I think Ryan Bader, uh, I think they feel like just an immediate run back with Ryan Bader probably just doesn't make sense. Even though he's double champ, I, I, just the nature of that first fight, you know. I think that they want Corey Anderson, similar to Gegard, um, similar to Lyoto, get a win. Then we're putting them in a big fight, you know, kind of build them up, kind of show, you know, build that storyline that, hey, you know, this guy is here and he's on a mission, new start and all that. Makes it a better sell. And it also, like, if Nemkov wins, it makes him look bigger. If uh, Anderson were to win, it looks like he's just got a fresh start, reinvigorated in Bellator. I think that's their plan, so... You know, tough fight, but look, uh, the way he's going, you're most likely going to have to fight Phil Davis again anyway if you're Nemkov. I say just get, I think that fight is the one that's going to end up being booked, but um, anything could happen. But yeah, that's that's my thinking, is that Nemkov versus Davis is going to be the one that gets it. And Ryan Bader, maybe he goes back to heavyweight. I, I don't know. And um, I can't remember if we talked about it or if I did that with another co-host or while you were out, but... um. You know, the tough thing about being a double champ is that, you know, unless you do, you are in the position to go for three, you kind of, it's just kind of downhill. And respectfully, it's like, hey, you know, you kind of win, but the second you lose, it's, you know, let's be honest, how hard is it to become a double champ? How hard is it to regain double champ status? I mean, so, we haven't seen it done yet, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's just a tough battle for Ryan Bader. Not to say, you know, look, he's got plenty of fight left, but, you know, this is just a, now it's just a question because now it's like, okay, then what's happening back at heavyweight? There's a lot of moving parts. I'm not saying he can't do it. He obviously can, but 
clearly some changes have to be made if he's going to beat a Vadim Nemkov, right? So yeah. that's where we're at. Okay. But yeah, so there we are. Um, Juan Archuleta, man, he looked good against Patrick Mix. Dude, he did. That was cool. New Bantamweight champion. Uh, I think he's going to fight Sergio Pettis next. I know he's bounced around so many weight classes, but I see him fighting Sergio before he entertains in any way going back to 145. It's like stuff really, some crazy stuff has to happen before Juan goes back to 145 before fighting Pettis. I think they just set it up too well. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And he, he his Instagram post today anyway, he, he tagged him in it, Sergio Pettis, so... You know, at least he's he's interested. He's willing. All right, there we go. Nothing more needs to be said. Um, good stuff. Uh, Liz Carmouche. Um, you know what? Uh, I liked her performance. I think she looked good against Deanna Bennett. Um, definitely made a splash. I feel like Scott Coker tried to be like, well, they're not at the same gym anymore, and it's like they are gonna be the most her and Alima, the most buddy buddy fight week ever. Like, seriously, I feel like they have movie nights every week. They're just such good friends, her and Alima, <laughs> that, you know, the possible title fight, it's it, it's almost going to be awkward trying to sell a conflict. You know what I mean? But I will say this. The Liz Carmouche I saw, it looked very tough, still very strong. I was hoping for a more dominant performance. And, you know, maybe to Bellator's help, I feel like if you're a Juliana Velasquez, I think if you're an Alejandra Lara, I know she's on Exatlon right now, but suddenly it's like, hey, you know, let's see. You think Liz Carmouche is all that in a bag of chips? Let me really introduce her to the flyweight division. So I think that makes it interesting. Potential Grand Prix, I think it's a, it's not a slam dunk. I like it. Yeah, man, that was an interesting fight because I expected the same from Carmouche to just dominate her opponent. I I personally did not know who Deanna Bennett was. I hadn't seen her fight before. So I was really surprised. You didn't see her on The Ultimate Fighter? You know what? If she was on there, I would have seen her. I just don't remember her then because I've seen all the female Ultimate Fighters, all the toughs with the the women. So I just don't remember her. But, man, she gave a good fight. Um, Like, round one, she was going. They were doing their thing. Round two, she won. Uh, so good on Carmouche for coming back. I mean, her corner was pretty clear. Like you got to win this. There's no, there's no bones about it. Came back, submitted her. It was nice, but surprisingly tougher than I would have figured. And, um, the same, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing your, your segue here, but the same for Zingano, right? Kat Zingano who had her debut as well. Um, not an easy out. So, so the, the former UFC veterans, um, had to, had to step up and, and show some, Dig deep, show some grit, but they but they did. Um, but yeah, very interesting. They're competitive fights, which I didn't really expect. Yeah, I think that that's gonna say, look that that helps Bellator because you know yeah. that just helps you like hey you know suddenly there's intrigue to build the Bellator uh, you know uh, I'll say the home team against the new people that have been established in the UFC with their names so. I think that's going to be a very interesting next step. I hope to see them both later this year, or at least um, I feel like we'll see Liz. I don't know about Kat because I think that Kat is going to maybe wait to see if she could book the Cyborg Blanco winner, um, or maybe Julia Budd, but that leads into it. I have nothing more to add about Kat Zingano. Same thing. Um, I think that she, uh, she kind of had to pull the rabbit out of the hat. It looked like it may end up a draw if uh, Gabby Holloway uh, stayed in mount in that third round. But Kat gets the escape. She only loses that round 10-9, so she got the victory. So that, um, you know, she, was, she looked good in the first two rounds. Um, like I said, you come in, you make a statement. Suddenly it's like, oh, you know, the big monster waiting in the wings. At 145, and we talked about this, I saw Kat say she's happy at 145. She feels strong. She's not killing herself. She was a big bantamweight. I just... Uh, it's hard to say you're an, you know you want people to cut the weight. I just feel like she performed, performed so much more optimally at bantamweight. And I feel like, you know, against Gabby Holloway... They're only going to get bigger and stronger if you're talking about the Julia Buds and the 
Talita Nogueras, the Chris Cyborgs. So I think that that's my thing is that um, at 145, I don't know. I, I'm, I still feel like it's going to be a tough mountain to climb for Kat, but she did look good considering the layoff. I'll say that. Yeah, that's a fair point. I was impressed actually with her physique. She she looked toned. Um, sometimes when you see fighters go up to 130, 145, um, you know, it's sort of like, well, what did you – what you can kind of tell what strategies they use to gain the weight. And it looks like, like cat went more of the, you know, toning physical lift weightlifting, uh, uh, route versus maybe eating a little extra. Um, and to me it showed, she looked great, but two things. Yeah. Her opponent was, was, was naturally bigger than her, but also came in like five pounds over. So, you know, can't ignore that. And the same actually for Carmouche. I think Deanna Bennett came in over too. So, but they had extra, extra, um, you know, work, wind work, on their backs. Yeah. Working against them. Or wind in their face. Yeah, headwinds. Um, but, um, yeah, when I think about Zingano and, like, Julia Budd, like, yeah, that's the physiques are, are different, right? It's going to be a little bit of a challenge. But I actually do like Zingano at 145. If she's happier not having to cut weight and, and live a certain lifestyle to, just to be able to make it to 135, at a certain point in your life, I think you got to you got to make that decision, make the call, and I think she's in the right zone right now. I mean, uh, I'll say this: I wouldn't be opposed to you know if whether or not they do the flyweight Grand Prix. I think that that's still not a done deal. If Alima's going to fight a showcase fight, I really think they should consider uh, Alima versus Cat at one thirty-five. What? That, why not? I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun. So, um, but yeah, if she ends up staying at 145, she's going to wait for, uh, they'll see where Julia Budd is at, but if not, I would not be surprised if Kat, you know, she tries to get into the cyborg sweepstakes. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's fine for Kat. I don't think her performance was strong enough to go straight to it, but you know, she's a veteran and and she's new to Bellator and like you don't want to rush her but you also don't want to hold her back for too long so maybe if she fights Julia Butt or somebody else and gets a win I'll say maybe she's just like one win away from a cyborg fight but it doesn't make sense to shoot her right into the don't, title shot don't forget her name value trust me like like I know cause yes. her, her record yes. hasn't been as good but I will tell you anything I've ever posted something Katzengano related it's performed well and it's just you know People love her story, and uh, yeah. you know she's just got a great following. That's something that's been made very clear over the years, even post Ronda Rousey, the way it went down. So uh, you can't underestimate Bellator seeing that. Is my point. That's a great point. So okay, well, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, because okay, let's 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 work with that. So if they give her the title shot right away, because she got a win, whatever, however, however she got it, she got their win. Then you still have you still have money in the bank with her after the fact fighting Julia Budd or somebody else, right? There's, they're still there. They're yep. still there, there. Okay. All right. December, the cyborgs in Ghana. Well, remember, well, we're going to get into that. They did go oh, Chris right. cyborg, but yes, yes. <laughs> got we got one fight. more thing to talk about though. Sorry, sorry. MMA and major MMA more importantly is going to make its arrival in France. They announced that they are going to be going, Bellator is going to be going, they're going to be the first major promotion. They got a card, MVP versus Ross Houston, main event, Czech Congo versus Tim Johnson. But the real kicker, up to 5,000 fans are going to be allowed in attendance in France for this event. I mean... Wow. Sacre bleu? That's the only French thing I can think of saying. Um, Sacre bleu. What, I mean, if that, if France is, is letting people go to sporting events now or will be by October 10th, then okay. I mean, if their, their COVID situation is, is in that, in that, um, if, if that's where they are, then good for them. Um, you know, I was actually surprised, uh, when did NFL kick off on Thursday? Yeah, I was yeah, surprised to see fans at um in the stadium so i did not expect that uh so yeah it makes sense that uh you know europe got it worse first before we did so it's news to me but if they can do it safely 
good for Bellator. You know, they did Hawaii. They're doing now. They're doing this. Like they're they're really good at carving their their way through into places where the UFC is is you know not willing to to stake a flag yet. Yeah, and one thing I've said about um you know well how does Bellator do it before UFC? I'd remind everybody, the UFC doesn't find it. Put it this way: the UFC doesn't do smaller venues like um a couple of the Bellators do. For example, yeah. at UFC, uh, just the friends and family would fill up probably some of the or you know the arena for the uh, the Bellator Hawaii that they've done. Not that it's yeah. overly small, but UFC is just a different level. So UFC, they only operate in bigger venues. So I think that's one Hawaii. Two with France, I mean, look, I mean, UFC is clearly very happy doing the island and doing the apex. Bellator, you know, I'll say this, uh, to my knowledge, like, they've had Italy on the calendar for over a year, it feels like. So, and, you know, they're still holding to it, you know, Bellator Milan, and I'm like, dude, you know, they are also locked into travel. So I'm impressed, once again, with safety. Look, if they're there and they're safe, by all means, uh, power to them. That's where we're all, we all want to get to. So I like it. But yeah, just Bellator, just congratulations. This yeah. is probably one of the biggest steps I think MMA could see in general. So I love it. I love it personally. All right. Um, let's talk about the schedule. Uh, this one, we're going to double them up. Cyborg versus Arlene Blanco on October 15th. And then the middleweight title has been rebooked. M- Douglas Lima will be challenging Gegard Musasi on October 29th. So about two weeks later. Um, first off, uh, if they weren't going to do Blanco and Cyborg wasn't going to... Sorry, if they weren't going to do Zingano and Cyborg was not going to box... Arlene Blanco has been the number two girl at featherweight for a long time. I think her only losses were to um, uh, Marlus Kunin, uh, who's champion briefly, and Julia Budd. Besides that, she hasn't lost to really anybody in Bellator, I think, since then. So this fight always made the most sense for Cyborg if she wasn't going to do, you know, welcome Cat to 145 at Bellator or to do the boxing thing. Yeah, well, it derails my. I forgot all about it, so it derails my, you know, my nice story of Cyborg as Zingano in December. But uh, yeah, I'm happy to see Cyborg active. You know, I think she can. No disrespect, but I think she'll be able to 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 move on and and get that Zingano fight probably after this. The disrespect on the this disrespect length, is high. I know. You, you know, so let, let's say it like it is. I think that you say that about a lot of cyborg opponents. Yes, that's All correct. The, and by, when I say you, I mean I'm talking about the greater public. If we're being very yeah, it's kind of like blunt. Same but, for Amanda Nunes. Apart from Valentina Shevchenko, like it's kind of like well, okay. Yeah, but um, look, Blanco is very solid and similar to Julia Budd. She's another woman who's been out there doing her thing, operating outside UFC. This is a big opportunity, and similar to how you can't count out someone like Julia Budd who had a great resume. Same thing for Blanco. I mean, you know, they're pros also, and I think that's a big thing, but. Yeah, when you're talking about fighting Chris Cyborg, it's an uphill battle for 99% of the fighters out there. So, yeah, that's just how it is. Yeah. Uh, Douglas Lima, Gega Musasi. Uh, this probably is the, one of the most high-profile fights uh, in Bellator history in terms of the, uh, the resume. I mean, Douglas Lima, you put him in U- UFC... Probably does some work in that welterweight division. Gego Musasi, we know he was doing work in the middleweight division. These are two of the most talented, probably uh, elite-level fighters on the Bellator roster that are proven worldwide. Some of the other guys, you know, because they didn't get that shine, you know, it's harder to sell them. Douglas Lima, I think uh, his resume has kind of done him well over the years. And Gego Musasi definitely has, so... This is a big fight. This is one of the best fights, I think, on paper that Bellator has put together in a while. Yeah, it is. This is a stellar, like, you know, these are just big MMA names, period, right? So this is great. A great matchup. And, um, oh, October. Hello. And uh, uh, thank you, because I was going to say that 
with these spikes. Sorry, man. Then you know <laughs> just then, like a natural no. Then you in my brain. <laughs> then you count the UFC, and we're gonna have Ortega and Habib and uh, oh my God, Anderson. I forgot about that. O- October is gonna be freaking lit. They are bringing the heat as it gets colder. You know what I mean? So. Dude, I love it. They're only they're only doing this because Halloween is basically canceled and they know that we need something. <laughs> so Bro, that's a whole other thing. I've heard so many people it's like, oh Halloween is canceled, and then I see other people, it's like, is it worse than going to Walmart? We're gonna have Halloween, and I'm just like, Oh boy. The debate begins. Yeah, I mean You know what? Uh, you I'm know, not gonna get into it. Yeah, let's not like, get into it. <laughs> I think that then, you know, people are just like, oh, MMA Daily takes a stance on this, like, uh, you know, what I'm admitting is that it's going to be a very interesting holiday. Yes. Um, let's move on. Um, <laughs> UFC news. Dustin Poirier uh, officially not fighting Tony Ferguson. Dana White said at the post-fight press conference that um, that the deal is dead. They're moving on. Try to find someone else for Tony for uh, October. Um, Natalie, I'll say this. It looked for a while that Conor McGregor, when he was going to fight Eddie Alvarez, was also a dead deal. And then they got the job done. That's not out of the question. But I think if it's not done in the next week, you really shouldn't be uh, holding your breath. Because, you know, we're a month out from fight night. So, yeah, personally, for my money... At this point, I feel like they are moving on from Dustin. Tony Ferguson, though, I mean, who's out there? Who do you got? Boy, oh boy. Is Dan Hooker ready to come back? I thought he crossed my mind. Uh, Charles Oliveira? I think he's hurt. Oh, gosh darn it. Okay. If we got hey, how about... Go ahead. I was a good old ally Quinta. He's always <laughs> down to save a fight card. That could be fun. Um, Benil Dariush. Look, I I know it's not the same as, you know, Dustin. I get it. But, um, you know, we're looking at solid lightweights who, you know, could get in there with uh, Tony Ferguson and make it fun. I like Hooker. I like uh, Benil. I think that those two stand out to me the most, who I want to say are healthy. Um, Ayakinta's up there. But yeah, for my money, they're going to look at one of those two guys and just see if they can make it happen. I've heard Michael Chandler, but um, remember, you saw it at six months. Oh, Lord, that would have been a pretty cool, like, out of left field one. You know, big surprise for general, like, MMA fans. Wow. That would have been nice. It seems like he's going to he's gonna end up at the UFC, right? Not to segue too hard, not to derail us too hard. But <laughs> Apparently, they're talking, but... Uh, Scott Coker then counted to say that no deal has been made to Michael for them to match yet. So ah, okay, then that means they want him because otherwise he wouldn't have he wouldn't have bothered right to yeah. say anything. But Dana um, says they're talking. Yeah, which is interesting too. So you know, you got Michael Chandler's in a in a blessed position, right? He's got the two biggest promotions that are keen on him. So good for him. The plot thickens. Um, yeah. Okay, so, I have one thought on this Poirier thing. Yeah, it had me thinking like. You know, how much does the UFC really care if Dustin Poirier never fights again, right? Don't get me wrong, like, they, they should. But if I'm the UFC, I'm thinking, okay, he's an amazing fighter, but we've kind of already gotten a lot out of him. Like, all these amazing fights, five-rounders, you know, going back to Eddie Alvarez, to, um, uh, what did he just fight? Dan Hooker, before that. Like, he's just in there going to war for everybody except not getting paid. Right. So that, that, you know, that's, that's why he, he, the standoff, but I don't know, man, it really did have me thinking like, does the UFC care if he ever fights again? Are they, are they comfortable just keeping him on my Like when you think about Khabib, Justin, Tony, even Connor, who's, you know, whatever questionable status, but in the UFC's eyes and, and probably in, the rest of the MMA world, they're much bigger stars than Dustin Poirier is. I'm curious to see how this shakes out and when Dustin actually gets a fight. We'll see. I'll say this. I think it's about the fact that Tony is a mega fight. Tony, Put it this way. They sell pay-per-views. I know it's uh, Habib and Gaethje. You put Tony Dustin, pay-per-view numbers go up. I don't care. It's like, oh, I'm also getting it. No. 
or like uh, Habib and uh, Gaethje, I'm buying it, but oh yeah, it's nice that, no, when you see Tony and Dustin added, the sales go up, I think that's why he's asking for more money, um, that being said, you know, it, if they were to have Dustin headline a different against a different opponent on let's say another fight night, we're not talking about more money. Plain and like if he were to fight Benil Dariush, headline yeah. a fight night in November, they're not talking more money. But because of the nature of the fight, selling pay per views, it's Tony, it's a big opponent. I think that's why they're talking about the money, which is completely fair. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I I wouldn't go as far to say he's not fighting again. I think it's just uh, you know, they're negotiating, and sometimes negotiations don't work. Okay. Um, but yeah, for the record, uh, Hooker Dariush for Tony. Those are my top two picks, uh, with who we have available. Yeah. Um, moving on. Uh, so this one I didn't add it, and then I saw everyone talk about it, and I thought, why not? Nick Diaz looking trim. Talk, saying he will 100% fight again. Uh, this reminds me, and I always remember, this goes to show you just the almost illogical level of love that people will have for the Diaz brothers no matter what. You remember years ago, you know, they numbered the UFC pay-per-views, and they had UFC 209. And the zip code in Stockton is 209, and there was this, yeah, sorry, area code. There was this massive online social media, everyone talking about, oh, the Diaz brothers have to fight at UFC 209, which is being held in Brooklyn, nowhere near Stockton. And yet everyone, and I still saw someone posting about it last week. It still <laughs> bothers me that no Diaz brother competed at UFC 209. Um... I'll say this, they are kind of like, it, people don't care about the Diaz brothers fighting for belts, they, they are fighters that people watch to see put on a show. And so the second you understand that, you understand that the Diaz brothers just bring it, and so their desire to see them fight with anybody, no matter rankings-wise if it makes sense, that's the kind of love they've brought through their performances over the years. I'll say this, I am aware that Nick hasn't won a fight in, I think it's eight plus years. They don't care. Most people don't, and that's okay. Because you see him scrap with a guy like Jorge Masvidal or something else, that's just good television, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> these days when I see any news about either Diaz brother returning to the cage especially in this instance, Nick, because we have this like video evidence of him looking very trim and, and, you know, seemingly ready to go. I just think, Oh, okay. Like, I just don't get too excited. It, like my interest in this right now is, is almost zero only because they kind of cry a lot of wolf. Right. And they have been lately anyway. Um, so I just don't want to let myself get too excited about, about this one. So I kind of agree with, with Dana white and that he's kind of like, I'm not holding my breath here. Um, but of course, if the fight gets made, uh, and by made, I mean if Nick Diaz actually is in the cage on whatever schedule fight night, like not just, oh, we signed a contract, like he's in the cage, you know, John McCarthy comes out of retirement to ref the fight. I'm 100% watching that. Otherwise, I'm just going to kind of, just going to kind of scroll past the story for now. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this, I kind of need to see him get in the cage by now. Uh, if Jorge beats Nate twice, I think that's a fun fight. I mean, you know, the OG BMF against the new BMF and avenging the little brother, that could be fun. Him, Robbie Lawler, the rematch, give me that. I think that'd be fun. There's options out there, but once again, I gotta see it to believe it. We've just been, we've had this song and dance too many times. Yeah, we've been burned a lot, and yeah. and because, as you rightly point out, there's such great love for them, it's immediate, like, headline with Diaz, picture with any of the, either, either Diaz brother, oh my god, what, are they coming back, what, and then inevitable disappointment, so I'm just going to stay patient here. <laughs> inevitable, oh my gosh. Of late. Natalie of late, with the anyway. strong words, this, 
this fine yes, morning. I, <laughs> yes, I had my green tea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, more like spilling the tea, dang. No, but um, uh, look, like I said, wait and see. I would love it because I think a lot of people would get excited, but yeah, wait and see. Um, the final question uh, or final topic before we move on to this week's card uh, the ultimate fighter. Apparently, Dana's going to go to Fight Island, and when he comes back, they are getting right back to shooting in the house. Um, what do you think about this, Natalie? I mean, no coaches have been selected. It looks like the show will probably end up in the first quarter of 2021. I mean, very bluntly, uh, the question everyone wants to know, who are the coaches going to be? Okay. My first thought was, who hates each other? Like, who can we... <laughs> Who can we stick in a in a room that that really just doesn't um, is gonna go you know toe to toe like Joanna and Claudia Gadelia or or even even though it was fun uh, McGregor and you know, Rory Faber and and with you know Dillashaw and um, and what's his name Cody Garbrandt right okay okay all that stuff so I go to look at the UFC rankings I'm sort of plotting the juiciest scenario but I actually ended up at the heavyweight division. And I think I want to see Stipe and Francis. I think that would be a really good one. It would be respectful, but interesting. There's two big dudes. Francis is like this human specimen. Stipe just, just proved that he, you know, is like the best heavyweight. Not like, he's the best heavyweight ever. And Stipe's really funny. Francis probably has a sense of humor, too. I just feel like there's a lot we can work with. And uh, I think that's the one that would get me excited. You know what? Uh, that I, I like it. I think that um, we've seen Stipe do tough and the coach's rivalry didn't blow me away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's not that, look, Francis is scary, but Francis on the mic doesn't exactly <laughs> knock my socks off. You get what I mean? I, I, I think he could be more charming than we give him credit for. I'll say that, yes. You see, look, I've met him. He's a nice guy. He is a very nice guy, but I think that... um. He's exciting television when he's fighting. I, I don't know if he's uh, got this... Um, I don't know about carrying a reality show. Does that make sense? I mean, no, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Francis, I love you, man. Don't, don't hurt me. I'm not uh, Ryan Garcia that you could hit with them body shots. Um, uh, I, I thought, look, my top pick for a long time has been Jorge and Colby. I think that you could put that on regular TV and it would do freaking awesome. Um, I feel like they're just not going to happen. I think Jorge doesn't want to give uh, Colby the rub and all the yeah, exposure. I'm going to go out from left field. Mm. Pewter Jan, the language barrier is a little bit of a challenge, right? Yeah. But I, so I was like, I thought of this and I was like, I just really like it and i might probably be alone henry cejudo oh aljamain sterling okay Wait, i thought you were gonna say henry cejudo Piotr Jan. nope henry, henry and aljo good chemistry similar to the uriah connor uh yeah. event we just get good talk they both help each other Piotr Jan comes in at the end uh, that's my pick. I am okay, going so, with the yeah, dark like horse. Connor Faber, they're not going to fight each other. It's just because they're they're entertaining and whatever. Yeah. Okay, definitely like Henry Cejudo. I think he would he would work well off of a lot of people. Um, probably anyone. He's just you know fast fast witted guy, and Aljo's got got some heat behind him. So okay, I would tune in more for Henry, but but uh, yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. Aljo I like it. got jokes. He yeah, he does. He's an entertaining guy. I think that he doesn't get look. He he had that tough luck that his loss. You know, it, he hasn't been the number one guy for a minute at a time when you got Henry and Cruz and you know maybe Faber and uh, Aldo and all this other stuff. Like, but really, he's been doing all the right things for a while, and I think that the Ultimate Fighter exposure. It would really build up a fight with Jan, personally. And, and you, sorry, go ahead. Depending on the timing, because if Jan isn't going to fight again this year, I feel like they're going to add them to the December lineup, but 
I don't know. I, just personally speaking, I feel like if they're not going to do it, then the timing is right. Henry and Aljo are both in United States, so travel is easier also. You got to factor that in. I think this could work. Okay, so there's a couple of positives I see here, apart from the Henry and Aljo, and that's the coaches, right? Albaracine, Eric Albaracine, Matt Serra, Ray Longo. Like that could be, that could be interesting, right? Like side, side stuff, side banter, side conversations, side conflicts. But then what happens with Henry Cejudo? Like at least Conor McGregor was still in, was in the UFC, was still fighting, he was growing his brand. But what do we do with Henry after the tough season ends? It's just like a, you know, he just. One and done, and then he goes back to retirement. I mean, he, like, why not? You know, we're trying to make a TV show. Okay, okay. He's I mean, also like, still he, hinting at, at fighting. Um, he still hints that. Like, on his Instagram, right? He kind of still, like, teases that, like, you know, there's something there. I mean, they've had tough coaches who weren't necessarily, like, you know, like, oh, you know, it's crazy. Like, I think Rich Franklin only fought, like, one more time, two more times after tough. Tito Ortiz definitely fought like one more time after tough. Um, you know, it's not unheard of that there's not a long, you know, like, oh, they didn't give me five fights after I made him an ultimate fighter coach. You know what I mean? So yeah. if Henry, after already being a double champ, oh, well, you know, I came back and I did the reality show and that's it. Crazy, much crazier things have happened. Okay. I'm not tuning. I'm tuning in. I'll say that. If that happens, I tune in. That's all I ask. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so look, uh, fun stuff. Obviously, we talk about a lot of the little stuff going on, but we have a big grudge match this Saturday. Um, leading a very fun card. I mean, Johnny Walker's back. Mackenzie Dern is back. Um, but welterweights who hate each other. Finally, after two plus years, Tyron Woodley, Colby Covington. I think that Colby's been waiting to pour the lighter fluid and just light the match on the mic. Tyron Woodley, two in a row he's lost. He definitely doesn't want to lose the third to Colby of all people. Oh my god. I mean, I think I set up pre-fight. Let's talk X's and O's. Natalie, who gets this one done? Ooh. Okay. First of all, there's like who in the in the welterweight division doesn't have like you know bad a beef. blood with Colby. Yeah, bad <laughs> this one's a little more personal, right? But I'm just gonna go ahead and say that Colby Covington's gonna overwhelm Tyron Woodley with, and I, I don't say this as an insult, but he kind of just throws like pity pat, like soft punches, right? It's just volume, volume, volume. That's his game. Incessant pressure, and then he can win by decision. Now he can finish you too, but but that's his thing. Okay, and going off of what we've seen from Tyron in his last two fights, I don't have confidence that he's going to be able to, to, to use his power and his speed, whatever level it is now at this point, to, to really cause any damage to Colby. I just don't see it. But I got to tell you, I'm 100%. No offense, Mr. Covington, rooting for Tyron Woodley to uh, to get the deal, to get the job done. So I'll say I'll say that. And then before I toss it back to you, like to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because you know it feels like this fight's kind of flying under the radar. Maybe it's because NFL's back, NBA's in playoffs, like MLB's going, and we've had a lot of MMA. But like with the Colby Covington fight, I would have expected some more noise. Is he quiet, or am I just missing it? He's quieter. I'll say this, and I found it very odd. Colby talked a lot during Fight Island about why he wasn't there. After the fact, what he thought. He did a little bit of talking. Uh, He's talked to MMA fighting a bunch, I feel like. He hasn't in recent months. I feel like he hasn't said anything since the fight has actually been official. I think that's the thing. Um... In terms of, the, and like I said, I think that part of it is uh, he's focusing on, you know, look, he's got a new camp. Remember, he left ATT. He's yeah. getting, uh, he's still got good coaches. Um, look, they're not as known as American Top Team, but, you know, this is their first camp as a unit. How are they gelling together for a specific UFC main event of this caliber? I think they're focusing on that rather than, you know, Colby, you know, we don't got time for you to 
talk to Ariel Hawani for half an hour and go in circles, right? So you put all that together. Um, I think that's why we haven't heard as much from Colby. But now let's talk about the fight. I think that stylistically that Woodley was always a tough matchup. In recent years, I've, or at least in this last year, I feel like his ability to raise his output, I feel like I have less faith in that than I did, you know, uh, before he kind of went on this skid. That's important because picking his spots and countering, uh, and this is for every counter striker, if you do not connect, you need to be able to get in there and get after it. Otherwise, you suddenly put down three fights on the scorecards and you're probably and against Colby, you're probably a little more winded. That big knockout punch is less likely to happen every minute that goes by the fight. Yep. So that's, to me, the real key factor is Woodley raising his output if he has trouble. Now, he's got great counter-striking. He's got great power. He could definitely get Colby coming in. But I feel like a lot of guys, Robbie, Kamaru, have looked for those shots. You saw that Kamaru had success getting in the face, pushing the, uh, the issue against Colby. I think Kamaru's a little bit stronger. I think that helped him. Tyron has similar weapons. I think the key is you cannot get patient. And I think that's something that we've seen from Tyron Woodley in the last two fights. Which is why Colby is probably more favored going into this one. Now, the wrestling. Once again, it comes down to who has better striking. Because I don't think that Tyron is going to get a blast double on Colby. I don't think he's going to clench and outwork him if they're trying to have a stand-up battle. The person who has the better stand-up is going to win the wrestling. And once again, that's why a lot of these factors go toward Colby Covington in this style matchup. So, it's a tough fight. Woodley still has a lot of the same weapons. It's about using them and using them more often. Colby is Colby, and I expect him to be consistent. That's one thing we've come to see from him out in the cage. I will say this. I do think that if there's going to be a time for Tyron to really change the the narrative in the cage, it's going to be Saturday. He brought in Masvidal. He did the thing where he was in Thailand. I do believe that it's going to come to the point where if he is falling behind, he is going to do something about it this time. I just He's always struck me as that kind of cerebral fighter and... Against Burns, maybe he was hurt, maybe he didn't see it. I feel like against Colby, he knows that that extra oomph is going to have to happen. Um, and I think that's a big X factor that swings it toward Tyron Woodley. I think he's still got all the weapons. He's still a tough matchup. Tyron Woodley for the win. Unanimous decision in a very competitive fight. Okay, I like it. I I, I do think if, if I'm Tyron Woodley and I'm... I'm fighting this guy, Mr. Colby Covington. I'm going to do whatever it takes if I feel like I'm losing to hurt him at the end as much as I can to, to get a finish is what I mean. So, yeah, man, maybe he's going to have to dig deeper than he ever has before if he's on the on the losing end as the fight you know, reaches its, its close. But uh, that's what I want to see. Or actually, I really would like to see a, a. I would like to see Tyron Woodley finish Colby Covington the way he defeated Robbie Lawler, just like blitz, blitz, bam, knockout. That would be great. <laughs> um, probably, probably not going to happen. But you want him to hit mute, is what you're saying? Yeah. Um, so I actually, like I said at the beginning, I think it's going to be Colby. I think he's going to win by decision. But. That's my pick. That's why I think he's going to win. But I want. I'm rooting for Tyron Woodley. So. Wait, so you said you're going Colby, but your heart is Tyron? Yes. Yes, sir. Okay, there we have it. All right, so we're split. Um, before I let you go, Natalie, do you know what next week is? Next week? Uh, no. Next week? Hmm. No idea. What? <laughs> yes. The, I think. Besides the beginning week, of fall? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is going to be an interesting weekend. You tell me, what is it? UFC 253 next week. We have finally made it. Adesanya versus Costa. We've got a nice co-main event. 
Dominic Reyes, Jan Blahovich for the vacant 205 title. I just, uh, you know what? Just, uh, I don't want, to, I'm done with the talk. I'm done with all the, just get them in the cage and let's do it. Final thoughts. Go for yeah, it. all the all the Costa things about oh he's you know running Adesanya and all this like no 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 we don't need that hype like just the picture of you two that's all we need now we're gonna be there you guys be there too <laughs> I'm ready uh, co-main event I think it's gonna be very fun I think it could be a sleeper fight of the year I- I'm here for it it's gonna be a great great night we'll be back we will recap. Tyron and Colby, we will talk all about UFC 253 and, of course, all the news in between. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll be back next week.